I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Who were the first inhabitants of this land, and how did they live? This hour, we're revisiting one of our early episodes where we welcomed members of the Cherokee, Tongan, and Choctaw tribes to look back in time before the Trail of Tears forcibly displaced the indigenous communities who called this place home. And we'll hear about their hopes for the present and future. And later on in the show, we'll hear an update from local indigenous activist, Albert Bender. Thanks for tuning in to this rebroadcast of an episode about our native roots. So to get more clarity on just how many people lived in prehistoric Nashville, we reached out to archaeologist Aaron Dieterworth, co-author of Mastodons to Mississippians, Adventures in Nashville's Deep Past. So before the arrival of European settlers in Tennessee, this area was occupied by Native Americans. And the first indigenous Native Americans to arrive in this area did so during the end of the last Ice Age, at least 14,000 years ago. Starting about 900 AD, we begin to see this movement into what we identify as the Mississippian period, where you start seeing the construction of these large towns and things that we would even recognize as cities being built around groups of earthen mounds. To be clear, we call this period Mississippian, but that's an archaeological term for people who were indigenous to Southeast North America. We don't know exactly what they called themselves. But we know that they're ancestors of native tribes we do know today. And during that period, the population locally seems to increase dramatically. And that's evidenced by the number of recorded archaeological sites and also by the size of some of those larger sites. Aaron explains that it's always difficult to estimate population sizes because so much of the archaeological record is lost or destroyed by time or construction. Now, there is an 1823 account from Judge John Haywood, one of Tennessee's earliest historians, that addresses this. And this is what our guest Albert Bender was referring to. It mentions the large number of Native American burial sites uncovered during the development of neighborhoods we now call Germantown and Salemtown. And he has this kind of offhand remark in which he says that based on the number of graves that are being encountered, he thinks that the population that once resided here in the indefinite past for him was 20 times that of the present day. And so he's basing that on the number of skeletons that are being encountered during home construction. The thing is, Judge Haywood's number is based on the bodies found in just two parts of town. And we don't know which bodies came from which time period because 19th century construction crews weren't exactly conducting archeological research, but Based on the number of archaeological sites in Middle Tennessee and the size of some of those sites, we can say conservatively that there were thousands and thousands of people living here in the Mississippian period. Now, in Williamson and Davidson County alone, there are 30 mounds of earth, and there's evidence of settlements and villages built around those mounds. And then archaeologically, the areas between those sites are filled in with smaller villages, with single-family farmsteads, and all of that is arranged around roads and routes and traces that we still recognize today 
and that are actually part of our urban landscape of Nashville today. And so we have this much different picture of Nashville than it being this uninhabited wilderness untouched by man. And instead, we recognize that during the Mississippian period, Nashville was an urban landscape, that there were thousands of people living here, permanently creating cemeteries, building architecture, you know, living along both sides of the Cumberland River and all the way up its tributaries. So while it's really difficult to estimate the exact population that lived here in prehistoric Nashville, there is archaeological evidence that a city of thousands of people there's a lot we can't know for certain about ancient Nashville, but we do know that these are ancestors of many modern tribes we know today. The people who lived here prior to the 15th century were Native American. They were ancestral Native American populations. Just because we don't know exactly which modern tribal group they were ancestral to doesn't mean that there's no connection there. Thanks to our producer, Rose Gilbert, and archaeologist Aaron Dieterwolf for helping to break that down for us. I'd like to welcome Albert Bender back to the program. He's a Cherokee activist and historian. Albert, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. So we know that there was a large urban population here. Why is that so important for us to remember? Well, it's so important to remember because... One, it will give an idea and an awareness of the greatness and gloriousness of the Native American population and how advanced the Native American population was. Because we're talking about a population in uh, 1300 that was approximately 400,000 inhabitants. And I would say this, if we err in terms of our estimation of the number of 400,000, we're erring in terms of underestimating the population. I would say that the population was even over 400,000. And also, what has to be kept in mind is that 400,000 is the figure given for the immediate Nashville area. That's not taking into account the uh, suburban areas of ancient Nashville that were composed of uh, towns, villages, hamlets, individual farmsteads. When you take that into account, you have a population of over a million, and which would make this the largest Native American population in the Southeast. And the figure of over a million is what I uh, recall reading several years ago from documents from the Department of Archaeology and also from MTSU. So it's, it's hard to estimate that number for sure, as we just heard. But tell, us, tell me more about what it, what it looked like for the people of Nashville back then. Well, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a large, huge, vast, ancient, bustling Native American city. We're talking about a city composed of a very uh, skillful leadership, a city of <clears throat> engineers, a city of artisans, a city of warriors, a city of uh, families that inhabited what is now 
downtown Nashville. And again, downtown Nashville sits <clears throat> on top of the ancient city. And we're talking about a city that encompassed both banks of the uh, Cumberland River. The east bank of the Cumberland River, which is now being looked at by large corporations for development, was also part and parcel of the ancient city. In the east bank of the Cumberland River, uh, the uh, city that existed there extends also into uh, significant parts of what is now East Nashville. If, you, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. Mm-hmm. We're talking this hour about the ancient history of the first inhabitants of this land and discovering more about what life was like during that time. I'd like to welcome our next guest, Charles Robinson. He is a member of the Choctaw Nation who serves on the Tennessee Archaeological Advisory Council. Charles, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. So, you know, we heard at the top of this segment about the dense urban environment that existed during the Mississippian period, right here. Later on, our state was home to modern-day peoples, including the Shawnee, Cherokee, Choctaw, and Muscogee Creek. What happened to those populations? Well, a lot of those tribes and those people groups uh, only came into Middle Tennessee uh, different times throughout the year. Uh, my people, the Choctaw, for instance, were primarily down in what we know as Mississippi and Alabama today, but they were not, this was not necessarily a permanent home up here for the Choctaw. Many kind of came and went seasonally for hunting or for trading or for ceremony. What else happened to them? Oh, well, then after all that, of course, when uh, our people began to settle uh, with, with, the, with the Removal Act and in the various uh, you know, ways the government began to, uh, what became known as the Trail of Tears, began to send our people uh, to west of the Mississippi River, uh, you know, and, and well, we know what happened with that, but they all just kind of dispersed, I guess. But what I would say is that Middle Tennessee, what we know here is Nashville, um, for the most part, uh, particularly my people in Choctaw, this is not a permanent home for us. Again, we came through here and this is a place uh, for a number of reasons that a lot of tribes would come through seasonally and spend time here, but then go back uh, to their ancestral grounds. We heard just a bit ago about some of the challenges that keep us from fully understanding our indigenous past. And Charles, you know, what are some reasons for that? Well, so much of it is that uh, we're kind of out of sight, out of mind, mm-hmm. right? People do not necessarily... Uh, when when you don't see natives running around in in, in, in your community, you kind of forget we exist. Uh, and so the issues uh, that our people have always dealt with have kind of uh, been overlooked uh, for a few reasons. One of which, because for most natives, we do not live in areas that um, were large enough voting block uh, for people running for office. So they don't need to necessarily cater to our needs and to our um, and to the things that are important to native people. Uh, so it's easy to overlook us. You know, you're on the State Archaeological Advisory Council. With, so tell me, why is it important to have native people involved in excavation on these sites? Well, to, uh, to our native people, there is a, a respect um, that we have for our ancestors, for our past, for our uh, for for our culture, 
we seem to place a greater importance on that than uh, than non-natives do, generally speaking. Uh, and so when you come when we come across items through uh, through digs or archaeology uh, to get a native perspective on the value and the importance of of having these things, retaining them. Um, is, is very, very important because it reflects such a huge part of our history. As you know, once you dig something up, you can, you can put it on display in a museum, um, but it's just not quite the same. Now, people get to, it's like, it's like going to a zoo and seeing animals in a zoo. You get to learn a little bit about the monkeys and the lions and stuff, but you don't really know them, right? And so in our attempt to preserve uh, history, uh, in Tennessee, which I, I, I'm thankful they were able to do this, um, we're really helping out future generations as well. Albert, I'd like to get your your perspective on that. Well, um, I think that um, I would uh, completely agree with what um, Charles is saying. And uh, the reason for having a Native person on the Archaeological Advisory uh, Council is so that when remains are discovered, that the remains are treated with the respect and dignity and according to tribal protocols. And uh, that standard has to be observed. And again, I think that's one of the uh, primary reasons for having a Native person on the um, Advisory Council. You know, Charles, you grew up in the Choctaw community in Oklahoma. Then you moved here to work in the music industry, where your community, as you said, is significantly less visible. Tell me what that change was like for you. Well, it was interesting because here in Middle Tennessee, when people meet natives, we're more of a novelty. Uh, there is a great respect I, I find that people have for our native people here, and they want to share about their native ancestry as well. Uh, uh, but uh, sadly, because of you, we, don't, we don't have a long history or cultural community here of Native people, it's easy, um, it's easy to just kind of fall into the glamorized dances with wolves view of who Native people are. And for, uh, for many Natives uh, who do not know their, their culture, our ceremonies, our languages, these things, we kind of always default to the Hollywood version of who we are. And... Uh, uh, but I have found that in Middle Tennessee, I've been extremely well received. We do work in, on uh, Native communities throughout the U.S. and Canada through my wife's organization. And uh, I find the border towns around the reservations out west are extremely racist. And uh, um, it, it's a, a tough place for Natives to be in those border towns. But here in Middle Tennessee, we've been received with open arms, which, is, uh, which has been very nice. Albert, have you found similar experiences when you venture outside of Middle Tennessee in your work? Well, uh, yes. I've had uh, some very uh, negative experiences that I have encountered in the western areas of the um, United States. And um, at one time, I lived in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And when I first went to Phoenix, I was walking down the street just uh, dressed normally, no uh, tribal regalia of any kind um, being adorned. And um, a carload of uh, young white boys passed by me and started calling me a wagon burner. 
Now, I had never encountered the term wagon burner before, mm-hmm. and uh, I, after I thought about it, I said, well, maybe they're referring to the stereotype of Native Americans attacking wagon trains in the old days. And the more I thought about it, I said, well, they uh, call me that again. I said, well, burn the wagons again. <laughs> but there is a lot of prejudice uh, toward Native Americans in different parts of the western areas of the United States. Again, as Charles had said, particularly on around uh, reservation uh, border towns. And I also had a very negative experience uh, when we first moved here. Myself and my family, my wife and son, we uh, frequently travel back and forth to the um, Eastern Cherokee Reservation. And um, I write for the uh, American Indian Press and other publications. And so we um, checked in or attempted to check into a motel for the night. And as soon as I walked into the lobby, the... um, one of the proprietors, who was a lady, she said, well, uh, hold on, I have to get someone else to talk to you. And so this very uh, incensed older white man comes out to the uh, counter and tells me point blank, uh, you can't stay here because we don't rent rooms to Indians. And this was, as I said, near the Cherokee Reservation in eastern North Carolina. So border towns do tend to be uh, extremely prejudiced in many cases toward Native Americans, even here in the southern parts of the United States. I don't think I would have been uh, invited into that hotel either. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, taking it back to Nashville and looking at with the changes that are happening. We all know Nashville is changing very, very fast. There's development, and wherever there's development, we're more likely to find archaeological sites, but also to damage them. Albert, is that a concern for you? Yes, that is uh, definitely a paramount concern, and I will give you an example. In 2014, when the excavations or digging started for the Sound Stadium, myself and other people in the Native community asked and requested um, and also demanded that some type of archaeological excavation be done of the area before construction began. And as a result of our efforts, that is when the remains were found of the ruins of the vast ancient Native American city. So that's why it's so important for archaeological excavations to be done wherever you have development done in Middle Tennessee. I mean, what happens to these archaeological sites that hold so much information and so many stories? Well, uh, without um, proper monitoring, the sites are simply destroyed. Charles, I'd like to get your response to that. Yeah, I think it's, uh, we, we see these um, burial sites and, and uh, towns and communities all over the place. Anytime there's a, a new construction site going on in Middle Tennessee, and uh, it's a shame once we destroy some of these artifacts because there's so much we can learn about the people that used to live here. Uh, long before we did, there's so much we had that they still have to offer us 
the educational aspect of it for our children, the ceremonial aspect of it, the culture, all of these things that can benefit us today, make us better people, better humans today. Uh, but sadly, too many times just to try and rush through a project, we're just bulldozing over these things, cherry picking what we want out of them or the whoever's on the site, you know, taking what they want and bulldozing and, uh, and moving on, right? Without trying to do it without ever mentioning uh, that, you know, that they found anything. So that's a shame because it really still has so much to offer. Um, and I really lean on the educational aspect of it for our children. Uh, and I want our children and the school kids, especially to understand the value of uh, retaining uh, part of our past. And, and I don't mean just the you know last couple hundred years past, but you know, uh, 500 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years, all these things we can learn. Um, let's, let's try and hold on to those best we can. That's Charles Robertson. Charles, make sure to stay with us throughout this break. I want to thank Albert Bender, Cherokee activist and historian. Thank you, sir, for your time and your expertise. Really appreciate it. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about here and now for indigenous communities in Nashville and Middle Tennessee. Tweet us your questions and comments at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kaluna, and this is Nashville. Before the break, we talked about Nashville's native roots. Now we're going to talk about the present moment, and that begins with the land. Tech giant Oracle is well on its way to finalizing development in the East Bank. Some have voiced concerns about the development, including our last guest, Cherokee activist Albert Bender. He and others have voiced concerns that this kind of development will further erase our ancient Native American history. That's why he's organized gatherings on the East Bank. In November of 2021, Melba Chakotay Eads, a citizen of the Muscogee Creek Nation of Oklahoma, performed a land acknowledgement on the site for a small crowd. Let us acknowledge the land that we are standing on. So I will give you a land acknowledgement. We acknowledge that we are on traditional land of indigenous people, including the Mississippian people and their descendants, the Yuchi, the Muscogee, Quisati, Shawnee, Chickasaw, Cherokee Nations. Nashville is located between the ancient city of Moundville, uh, Mound Bottom, excuse me, Browns Creek, Castilian Springs Mound, Sellers Farm, and many other sacred places. And now after I have said the land acknowledgement and those indigenous people that were here from millennium, I would like to also state that we would like to honor, acknowledge, and recognize indigenous tribes and the tribal nations who were forcibly removed from the original habitants. They are the keepers of the land and water, and they now make their present day Nashville and in the areas of Tennessee. Tribes that were forcibly removed to lands west of the Mississippi 
River to Oklahoma are the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Muscogee Creek, and the Seminole. So those are the main points that we want to say. The Trail of Tears came right through Nashville here. We're standing on indigenous land. We are now calling the mayor to recognize the indigenous place and the sacred place of these mounds. We're joined now by student Dante Reyna, who is advocating for land acknowledgement at Vanderbilt. They are Sotsil Maya and a member of the Indigenous Scholars at Vanderbilt. Dante, welcome to This is Nashville. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Tell us about this work you're doing to get your university to use land acknowledgements. Well, I think it's important because when we talk about the land, uh, we must recognize that the land is a part of who we are. And it's a part of who the people were here and who are here. And it's a mixture of our blood, our past, our present, and our future. And to acknowledge the land is, is to honor the relationship and to understand the longstanding history that has brought people to reside on the land. And this is not by any means new. Many indigenous people across the world, dating back centuries, honor the land in different ways. How did you learn to honor the land? Uh, specifically in my tribe, we um, make a traditional drink called Tiswino. And every, every year we um, honor the land by offering it the first sip of our drink. And the first sip of, and that drink is made out of the first harvest of the year. Our next guest is also trying to carve out space for indigenous communities by building a cultural resource center. Sally Wells is president of NAIA, the Native American Indian Association. Sally, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. It's an honor for me to talk with y'all and uh, listen to you with what's going on. Pleasure to have you with us. Tell us, tell us more about the Cultural Center. Uh, you mean Native American Indian Association? Y yes, Native American Indian Association, it's going to be here within a few more years. We had started dreaming about this about uh, maybe I, 1991, somewhere in that area. We started to build the center here for the Indian peoples and, and non-Indian peoples, too. So uh, we started, and we didn't have no money, so we started this donation, and we started having a festival and things like that. And we wrote some grants to help us out, and we carried on from that, and we're getting closer to build this center. I think uh, most of the groundwork is it's just about finished. So after that, we're going to start building. So it'll be here before what would 2,100 the... or something. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fantastic. Tell me, what would the significance of having this center be for you and your communities? When uh, myself and uh, Ray Emanuel, this was back in the uh, 70s, uh, we were here in Middle Tennessee. We didn't know if there was any Indians in the area or what. We didn't know. Ray, and I, Ray is Columbia Indian, and we, her, him and I met uh, 
in his business store, and we start talking about it, and we keep talking about it, and we keep talking about it, and see what we can do. So we decided we could have social gathering, so and see how many Indians can show up. So that's how we started, and uh, from there on, people helped us a lot. Uh, people like mayor and uh, some of the state people, they help us and they give us advice what we need to do and advice is what we need the most and of course money too but advice is a good working thing that we did and taking that their advice and do what they says and, and that was working really well so uh, that's how we started and uh, first meeting we have was at the Cumberland River uh, right in front of a courthouse we met there, and that's where we decided we we're going to have Native American Indian succession. So we passed the hat out for money to send the people a letter. And to buy, with that money, we were going to buy stamps. And that's how we started. And we keep going and keep going. Sometimes we get down, but we get up and go, keep going. So that's where we are today because of that. And we uh, have come meet people, and there are there are quite a few Indians in in Davidson County. I know that. So that's how we feel like that. There's some more, and then what we need to do is uh, raise some money. And some of these Indian people out of reservation come to Nashville, and they just come without the money. They don't know where they're going to sleep at. So when they come and they contact us, and we have try to help him find him a job and give him a place to stay a little bit, not two, three months rent pay, and uh, they get a job and work and take care of themselves. And then uh, when it, if they have ins- no insurance on that, their health, we have to uh, help them out on their have like buying the medicine for them or pay doctor bills for them. And then sometimes we pay electrical bill or rent. All this, that's what we do this many years that we organize this organization. So for the center, it's a resource center and a gathering place. Talk to me about yes. the, the resources you all will provide people. Read resource is going to be like, you know, me, myself. I go to school, and when teacher called me and asked me if I could come in, uh, it's especially in November, October and November, they asked me if I could come and speak to the students that they don't like to know more about Native American Indians. So I do go to school and do the presentations. I've been to many schools in Middle Tennessee. So uh, this building is going to be one of the part of the building is going to be where we're going to, the kids, if they want to know something about Native, they're going to come to our building and, and uh, see the maybe video or tape or listen to tape or reading a book, things like that. It's, this is what's going to be all about. And, and uh, if we have enough, enough land to do this, we're thinking about setting a teepee up and for the, uh, the uh, kids 
want to camp out for the weekend, they can do that also. But I don't know if we're going to have a land big enough to do that. Charles Robinson is still here with us. Charles, you know, what are your thoughts about this on the cultural center and its significance for our native communities? You know, uh, it's interesting. One of the, the segments uh, I was listening to before we all came on air was talking about uh, local museums and the Frisk Museum, who, which has some fantastic exhibits that come through. But uh, in Middle Tennessee here, we don't we do not have a uh, a museum of any sort that really focuses in on our native people and, 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 our, and the indigenous people that have been here for so long. And with this cultural center, that's my understanding, that's a, going to be a big part of it, will give uh, kids and, uh, and visitors uh, a place to come to learn about the native history and the ancestry of the folks that were here long before them. Uh, and it's long, long overdue for, uh, for Middle Tennessee to have something like this. I think personally it'll be uh, become one of the biggest tourist spots in Middle Tennessee uh, because it, it, it garners such great interest from outsiders. Um, you know, when people come to town now, they all they, you know, they go to the Ryman, they go to downtown uh, Nashville, they come out to, to Franklin, to the Carn Plantation, the Carter House, all these historical places, uh, and it's we're long overdue for to have a Native American cultural center that could show them about our Native people as well. Now, Sally, you grew up in Ripley, out in western Tennessee. Tell, yes. tell me, what was that like for you? Um, my parents moved us in west Tennessee, Lauderdale County, uh, maybe late 1950s. And they moved out here on relocation from federal government. And, of course, those kids didn't want to come. But it, we couldn't do nothing about it. We, we moved with them, so we came out here and ended up in West Tennessee. Uh, it was, well, not even on reservation. I, I left there about maybe 11 or 12 years old, and I felt like I grew up on the reservation. That was my home. Mm-hmm. But then we came, moved to Tennessee, and that was hard because we left the, our, our land, our home, and come down to Tennessee. And and that's because uh, it was hard time on living on reservation, food and otherwise, that other stuff that we got to have and we couldn't afford it. So that's why my parents feel like they can survive, we can survive with move out here, so that's how we moved out here. And, uh, I went, and we didn't come to stay here. We went to back home every season. Like We came on probably August, and then we moved back sometime early October, a couple times, and then maybe third times they decided that we're going to make a permanent home here. We're not going to go back. So that's how I ended up in this. It was hard time. Uh, a lot of things that happening, like Albert was talking about uh, races and, and and things like that was happening. And I, of course, I was young, don't really understand all that much about it. But I, later time, I, when I think about it, this is what happened to us at, at that time. So we was in school, we was not treated equal. 
I didn't think, when I think about it. And things like that, that was going on. And, of course, uh, when I, we were living on the reservation, we didn't go outside of the reservation. We stayed in, in the reservation. But sometimes uh, my parents had to go downtown, things like that, to get some groceries, things like that. And we were treated differently. So those kind of things happened. I grew up with that. And it was not easy either. I can't imagine if that it was. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake We're talking about the indigenous communities here in Middle Tennessee and why what they would like to see preserved in the present and future. Charles Robinson is still here with us. As a member of the Choctaw Nation, you mentioned earlier in the show what it was like to come to Middle Tennessee from Oklahoma. How do you keep the, your traditions alive here? Well, we still, my wife and I, my wife is Lakota and Blackfoot, so we still uh, practice some of the ceremonial stuff, the prayer way of praying uh, with our children. Uh, so we, we're very intentional about doing that locally. Uh, but we also spend time with my wife's organization traveling to Native communities throughout uh, South Dakota, Montana, Idaho, up into Canada, all over. Um, uh, so, But it, we just had to be very intentional about it. We got a tweet from Michael Hardy. He says, my grandpa Hardy had Cherokee blood. Are there resources for people like me to research if their families have Native American heritage here in Tennessee? Charles, can you answer that? Yeah, so if you can, uh, the key is to be able to trace back your ancestry uh, to somebody who is um, either on the the rolls, the dolls rolls in uh, Oklahoma or, or through the Oklahoma tribe, or to Cherokee, North Carolina. Uh, it's uh, you can contact the tribes. Uh, I'm speaking specifically to this fellow who who wrote in, um, but you can check with the individual tribes that you think you might be an ancestry to, and uh, and they can give help provide some of the resources to help you research that. Uh, but the key is going to be able to trace yourself back through birth certificates uh, to uh, you know to somebody within that tribe. Dante, you grew up in Mexico. Tell me, what was your upbringing like? Uh, well, it was a daily struggle. Um, I grew up in Mexico. I grew up in Ciudad Juarez, which is in the border town uh, opposite of El Paso, Texas. And so it was a daily reality that I would uh, cross the border every day to get to school and to do, um, and to just um, participate in American life in order to get an education so I can push my family ahead. Uh, my family's from southern Mexico and my mom's from central uh, from central Mexico. They both have, they both come from tribal backgrounds, and so crossing the border and being part of um, being a first generation American, I faced a lot of um, the same kind of racist sentiments, but in different ways. Mostly people, um, because of the way I look, questioning if I was American or um, making fun of my indigenous heritage uh, from both my mother and my father's side. So that that was um, what it was like. And from uh, Mexico, uh, during, the, during the time that I was a child, um, the Mexican government decided to have the quote-unquote war on the narco. And so 
uh, this war on uh, the narco had a lot of negative consequences to the common person to the point that you would see um, people hanging from bridges and uh, other kind of intimid uh, intimidation tactics aimed at, against the government and uh, to sort of uh, show um, how much power they had and that the people were caught in the middle ground uh, with them mostly suffering the casualties. Hearing Charles's story and Sally's and, and some of Albert's, you know, I'm curious, what's your reaction when, uh, what, what I really want to ask you is a lot of times we don't think of other indigenous people when we have this conversation. How important is it for you that, that folks understand about the indigenous struggles of people in Mexico, maybe Pacific Islanders, people from Alaska, the wide, vast diaspora of indigenous folks? I think it's very important. Um, and Vanderbilt itself, we, we have the Indigenous Scholars Organization, which is the only organization on campus for indigenous students. And we serve as a gathering space for Native American, Alaskan Native, Pacific Islander, and all other indigenous students on campus. And it, the, the campus, um, the indigenous student body only make up about one to 2%. And I think it's building that solidarity between indigenous people no matter their nationality or what um, kind of imaginary borders are created for us, that uh, that I think that's where true power lies is realizing that I, as an indigenous Sotil Maya, um, as I'm living here in Nashville, Tennessee, should honor the elders like Albert Bender uh, that are doing their work here and uh, following in their guidance. I want to talk about how you all celebrate your heritage and traditions. Dante, how do you celebrate your culture and keep that tradition alive? I, it's a little bit difficult. Um, the um, I, as a Sotil Maya, um, kind of have to see how I can retain my tradition, but there's there's very limited community here, being so far away from home. I still participate in tradition on my own and hope to one day teach my children about my tradition. But um, I think it's very difficult to engage in that tradition. I sometimes uh, ponder what, how I can engage community and engage other people in, in my tradition and uh, in other people's, but it, it's a little bit difficult being so far away from home. Charles, I have 30 seconds. I'd like to hear from you. So uh, it's important to remember that the native people, both in the United States, Canada, and Mexico and further south, they're all indigenous people. It was governments and uh, the white governments that drew a line in the sand and began to call us Mexicans and Native Americans. But uh, like uh, Dante, that, that's all tribal people. But uh, we get to dance in our powwows and celebrate, come together with other like-minded and like-hearted people to celebrate our ancestry. And, um, and opportunities like this to be on the, the show with you help expand that and grow that for us. So thank you for having me today. That is Charles Robinson of the Tennessee Archaeological Advisory Council. Also with him were Sally Wells, president of the Native American Indian Association, and Dante Reyna from the Vanderbilt Indigenous Scholars Organization. Thank you all for coming on to the show. When we come back, we'll bring you a 2023 update from Albert Bender. Stay with us. This is Nashville.
I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Thanks for listening to this re-air of our episode from April of last year on the history of Native people here in Middle Tennessee. Now, before the break, we heard from Native activist Albert Bender back in 2022. He's here with me now to talk about the history of Native people and offer updates from last year. Albert Bender, welcome back to This is Nashville. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for being here. So talk to me about how the current construction, this construction boom, how it threatens Indigenous histories. Well... The construction boom threatens ancient history in that it can result in an erasure of ancient history. That is why myself and others in the Native community involved in our organization, the Indigenous Peoples Coalition, have organized uh, demonstrations and communication with the powers that be that are involved in constructing new areas and uh, excavating areas all across Nashville. And I'll give you an example of uh, what Oracle, the Oracle Corporation is doing. It has plans to put apartments and uh, large-scale residential complexes all over Nashville. And the ancient population of Nashville was so numerous that anywhere construction is started, there is the potentiality of running into the ancient city. So with that, what has changed in the last year for the Indigenous Peoples Coalition and and Native folks as far as what you're attempting to change or prevent? Has that give us any updates? Well, the updates involve plans for new construction on the East Bank. And right now, myself and others in the Native community are in the process of communicating with the mayor's office in order to reach some type of clarification in terms of what will be constructed on the East Bank and to make sure that archaeological excavations are conducted so that Native history isn't erased, so that people in Nashville and throughout the state of Tennessee and throughout the nation can be aware of the ancient cities and villages that existed a thousand years ago in the Nashville area. Are you confident? We have a new mayoral administration, Mayor O'Connell. Are you confident that the mayor and his administration are open to these conversations? Well, we would like to think that the mayor and his new administration are open to these conversations. And I will hearken back to what I consider a positive development is that in 2017, when the Nashville City Council adopted Indigenous Peoples Day or recognized Indigenous Peoples Day, Mayor O'Connell, who was then a council person, signed the original Uh, document favoring and encouraging the city council to recognize Indigenous Peoples Day. So from that perspective, we are optimistic that we will receive a positive response from the mayor's administration. There's new members of this Metro Council as well. You feel confident in their support? Yes, we are. We're confident in uh, their support. And uh, I will say we're in a wait-and-see mode 
But in our wait-and-see mode, again, we are optimistic that positive developments will result from our communication with the new administration. What advice do you have for listeners right now who may be curious to learn more about the history of the Native nations that were here in ancient Nashville in ancient times? Where, where, where should they turn? Well, I would say they could turn to the Indigenous People's Coalition, and um, I have a phone number and an email address where people can communicate with me, and that information will be readily disclosed and dispensed to the greater mainstream Nashville population. Where? But do you mind sharing the number uh, with us on air? Uh, the number that can be uh, accessed for this information is area code six one five. Three three seven eight five one two three three seven eight five one two, and my email address is Albert Bender, small characters, one word, zero seven at yahoo.com. All right, Mr. Bender. Before I let you go, I know you mentioned that the Indigenous Peoples Coalition is engaged in conversations with the mayor's office right now about the East Bank. But is there anything else that you're focusing on? Well. I would say that uh, we're also uh, focusing on uh, developing a relationship with the mayor's office in the long term, because from information that I have garnered online, the development of the East Bank, according to the current administration, will take longer than just the existence of the current administration, but it will probably extend to several mayoral administrations. So we are in the process of hoping to strengthen and cement a relationship with uh, the current administration that will set a precedent for future positive developments between the mayor's office and the overall native community, the indigenous community here in Nashville. Albert Bender is a Native American activist, historian, and attorney. Mr. Bender, thank you very much for being on and giving us this update. Really appreciate it. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's re-air was produced by Char Dastin and Elizabeth Burton. Laura Boach is our technical director. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.